0: And now a word from one of our Bible Live sponsors. Our company is so proud and excited to sponsor the Bible Live. As a businessman, I have to make decisions every day about how to best
1: invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this
0: historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation, a sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website, www.thebibelive.com, or mail your check for the Bible
1: Live to P.O. Box 18888. That's P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. Welcome to
0: the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Some people ask questions from the Bible Live Lead. You call in with the correct answers and you win. It's just that simple. Get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial, because here's the host of The Bible Live, your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Sophie Dollar.
2: We are here thanking you for joining us tonight for The Bible Live broadcast <laughs> We are on board. Jacob is here in the studio with me. We're ready to get started. Before we get started, oh, Sophie, this is
3: Jacob. Can you hear me?
2: I can I can hear you, sure. All
3: right. I'm watching that little yellow thing or the old green thing go across, so I guess I'm on. I think you are on. Well, I have an unpleasant chore to do to start with, which I've already mentioned to you. Yeah. Okay. First of all, uh, I th- I, it appears that I have uh, evidently told a joke that I did not intend a certain way, but ha- and I, I, I evidently and I really understand this. Oh, an apology. Because somebody had told me that they understood the joke meant a certain thing, and I certainly did not mean that. But for anybody that understood that I, in any way, uh, was saying that women should not be believed if they if they say they were assaulted, uh, I apologize for that because I would never ever say that. In fact, I know somebody who I prefer not to put them in an awkward spot that they uh, they had a sexual assault. And they didn't tell it till just to the in just prior to the statute of limitations running. And I know that everybody has things that they're uncomfortable with or embarrassing with, and uh, are things they don't want to share. And I've seen people in their 80s sometimes they'll tell th- what happened when they were 10, and they never told their whole lives. So the fact that people don't tell has no bearing for me. I know people sometimes do not tell, and that, and if I gave that impression, I certainly want to express my apology because I. I would never... Ever say that? And I guess it grew out of the joke I told last week. Not a funny joke, but my
2: well, b- on the s- funny scale, it might have been a, maybe a two or three. I don't yeah. know. I can't remember exactly. It was about uh, Mr. Kavanaugh when he was a baby, right?
3: Well, I said something about that. He had uh, when he was in a nursery. I uh, I said I have some proof that he went into uh, he exposed himself to a bunch of little girls, and of course it was at the nursery when he was born. Now my intent. I even talked to my daughter this afternoon about that joke I said, "Honey, did does that sound like I was saying that women should not be believed?" And my daughter said, "No." She said she she said I I think your point is is that um uh, how far back we go? And I said, that's exactly what I was trying to say: is how far back do we go? Because I, I do want to say 100 percent. And if I gave the impression that I do not think women should be believed, or that the, the fact somebody, man or woman, that doesn't say something till later in life, that has no bearing for me. I 100 percent know that occurs. So anybody that I may have I may have offended by that, I certainly offer my apology for. So, I have given my
2: apology. Well, I accept your apology and I forgive you. I was terribly offended. No, I really wasn't. Uh, but I'm, I know the, the problem, I think, was this had become already such a hot button emotional issue that the lines were drawn, and there's no way at all you could even talk to the situation without offending somebody on some side. Uh, There's no talking common sense. There's no talking just what's sensible, what's right in an atmosphere like that, right? Because it's just too... Everything is just too feelings and emotionally oriented. So, uh, <clears throat> well, you know, Dr. Bill Bright used to say um, to us as staff with Campus Crusade staff, I remember he used to, I, even to me one time personally, I believe, he was here in the city, and we were talking one time, and and, and he talked about how careful you have to be about humor because humor is, is, is wonderful. It's a wonderful thing, and it's it. Uh, let's off steam, and it you know lowers down the barriers and so on. But in certain atm- you have to be very, very careful because uh, uh, it can also backfire on you. And and then it, and that's this, that's a particularly kind of atmosphere that uh, even the best of jokes, you just got to be careful. You know, it's it can uh, <laughs> it, it's it's a. Uh, It's a very dangerous world, the world of humor. Uh, I remember when we traveled, uh, I used to travel with a music group, a Christian music group, that giving concerts and sharing the gospel across Europe. And uh, we all really knew that you had to be really careful about humor, especially in international situations because you never know what, the cues are what. Are, what are the the norms for humor? What's funny in one place? I I remember a number of occasions saying things that, in the audience just died laughing, and I had no earthly idea what I had said that was funny. Um, but humor is a very very delicate thing. But anyway, uh, Jacob, you did it. You well, you I did. So I any,
3: prayer. I did not intend to say anything of that kind. So I do apologize. I know
2: you wouldn't. He, i and I will at least to the degree I know him. He would never knowingly. Uh, hurt anyone's feelings, or make fun of, uh, or uh, you know, belittle a, a serious uh, uh, matter at all. Either this was a this was a clash of issues, though. The whole idea of innocence uh, until proven guilty, the whole idea you know, time and you know, do you have uh, accusations have to be corroborated and so on, and so on. There's a difference between the personal belief of someone. And uh, believing that when it, uh, it comes to the legal system, right, I mean, there are, in, in legal matters, you have to have cooperation, you have to, have, you have to be able to prove, and, and people are innocent until proven guilty. Um, and even that had an answer. I remember there was an answer for that during the, uh, during the uh, controversy about uh, this uh, Supreme Court justice. But anyway, that's where we live today. Uh, even a good guy with a great heart, can be misunderstood and taken wrong, uh, but I know he didn't. He didn't intend anything of it for sure. Well, tonight we're looking at some books from the uh, Hebrew Scriptures, the Tanakh, the Old Testament, as it's called. Zechariah, Zechariah, Malachi. Where's Malachi? Uh, Malachi has gone to get pizza. <laughs>
3: Actually, do you know what Malachi means? Malachi,
2: Malachi.
3: Malachi, yeah. Malachi, It's uh, my angel.
2: Is that right? Yeah. How about that?
3: But I will say, the first one you've got listed here is uh, Micah.
2: Okay, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and then comes Malachi, but I guess we're going to go back. Well, I don't see Malachi. Uh, That makes me sad. uh, Well, don't be
3: sad. But uh, anyway, but,
2: we'll get started. But
3: I will tell you that there is something I wanted to talk about last week. And uh, as you stopped me last week and said, well, that's not in our part last week, but it is this week. So I have got something great. I think it's great to talk about. And I think every Christian ought to hear this because it is a Christian doctrine. But. I always say, whoever wrote the Christian Gospels and the letters, those were not amateurs; they knew what they were writing and i 'm going to lay something up tonight. I think that 's a brilliant point but you 're you are free to use it at any time sophie
2: okay, thank you, so we are going to um hm hmm, I get it we are We are uh, into some scheduling uh as as you um, I have to um, should I tell our listeners uh, yeah of course that okay. we are hoping and praying and trusting, although we do not know for certain, but we are praying and trusting and believing that we're going to be able to be bring the Bible reading program back on the air uh, here at KSLR uh, starting on Monday, November fifth. So, uh, we would start with Genesis chapter one, verse one, and read through the entire Bible. Uh, I know many of you have asked us over me personally over the these uh, couple two or three years that we've been off with the reading program. When can we do that? When can we do it? And we're praying and trusting that maybe we will be able to uh, It's not a guarantee or a promise, but that is our objective. and so uh, we are coming down to the end of this year's reading schedule. Uh, we'll read Malachi and the book of Revelation next week and then we have a week we will dedicate to there are some pro- special programs uh, that that uh, we'll be talking about here on the weekend about the reliability of the scriptures, the uniqueness of the Bible uh, and so on and just kind of speaking to the larger kind of across the uh, across the spectrum about the whole Bible in general, its value, to us as a culture and a society, and uh, it, it's kind of what I was on my mind even tonight. Jacob coming in to to discuss is the Bible important? Is is it? Why is it that we would dedicate a, you know a, a program here to talking about this this ancient old book, sixty six books written by. Forty or so different authors, fifteen hundred years it covers. Why is this book important? And uh, it's particularly in our in our generation, in the times and days in which we're living. Uh, it seems like our American culture is coming apart. Uh, it is, there's so much division. We're being broken apart uh, by our evidently to some degree by our political system and. Uh, we're being broken into our interest groups um, racial groupings uh, gender groupings age groupings generational everybody's uh, picking us apart and getting us into this constituency groups uh, socioeconomic strata and so on and and the, the, the culture is coming apart as people t- are intending trying to use government. Uh, to benefit themselves, and so you have the competing interests of all these different groups and no longer do we have a a consensus of uh, being all of us being pro american and wanting the best for America broadly everybody 's out to get what they can get for their their chosen or favorite um, Ethnic group or you know constituency grouping, so that's just what's happening. And it, it we we see the same thing happening now. If we look in the Bible, we're looking at the same experience happening in uh, these prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, you know. Ezekiel, Daniel. During this time, we see this is what's happening, and we'll see it tonight as we look in the books of Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, you're going to find these competing groups uh, competing for power, competing for influence, competing for wealth uh, in these groupings, and uh, the nation essentially uh, comes apart. And, it, and uh, is weakened so much that it is able to be taken quite easily by uh, outside powers as well. So all of that is going on in these readings. It's not like uh, it's not the readings of the Bible are uh, li- like the readings of the Bible books have nothing to do with our national uh, uh, experience here in the United States of America in the 21st century. So, but the Bible is here it is It is. and then God, God told them that these things were going to happen if they moved away from him and from his laws and, and his uh, commandments about how we should live our lives, how we should treat each other that he of course the, the Bible told us that these things would happen and they happened to the people of Israel and uh, no doubt they will happen again to the people of America if we continue down this path. So that's one of the reasons that uh, I particularly have a passion for reminding Americans and getting the Bible itself out on our public airwaves here in South Texas and across San Antonio because um, we need to be reminded. Our entire culture, our society was founded originally on the principles of the, the The social uh, spiritual moral principles that come out of these books and um, <clears throat> if uh, if we forget those principles if we forget this book and we stop paying attention and go off on another path we will indeed pay the same price. And I remember when I was a kid, Jacob, I used to wonder when I'd read the Bible, I said, how could those Jews be so stupid? How, <laughs> could they be, how could they do that? God spoke to them. He showed himself, and he proved himself, and he treated them so lovingly, and yet it seemed like every chance they get, they walk away from him. And, and now I know exactly... How easy that is. We see we our is. own culture do that.
3: And, and while I, uh, this is one of the books later on, this is Zechariah. But there is not interesting, the first four verses in chapter one of Zechariah, uh-huh. actually, Zechariah begins with a warning. To all the people of his generation, and listen to what I 'm going to say because it's exactly all, what you said, but this is from Zechariah uh, his he warns not to commit the same transgressions as their forefathers, otherwise they will suffer the same punishment so there is a cycle, and a repetitive cycle, that does seem to go on. And uh, tell me when is a good time, because I would actually like to make this story make sense.
2: Can I read those verses? Please. This is, you're right, it sounds just uh, uh, like what we need to hear. In November of the second year of King Darius' reign, Zechariah says, <clears throat> the Lord gave this message to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, And grandson of Edo. I, the Lord, was very angry with your ancestors. Therefore, say to the people, This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of Heaven's armies. Don't be like your ancestors who would not listen or pay attention when the earlier prophets said to them, This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Turn from your evil ways, stop all of your evil practices. Where are your ancestors now? They and the prophets are long dead. But everything I said through my servants, the prophets, happened to your ancestors just as I said. As a result, they repented and said, We have received what we deserve from the Lord of heaven's armies. He has done what he said he would do. Um, yeah just this mm-hmm. constant reminder you know don't walk away i'll keep god's commands
3: now where would this begin what i like to do is i like it to make a story and i think that's one reason in the tanakh or the torah or the old testament that uh, that moses told stories because it makes a meaning if you tell a story and one of the major criticisms frankly and and that I find that with people when they say that when they go after God or religion or the Torah or the Bible, they say the first attack always seems to be there 's no God, okay, or sometimes they say, "Well, this is not really written by God, but this is man made over centuries, okay and of course, the last thing, the last element of attack is it 's full of too many contradictions, but you see, if you do not accept that it's really from God, let's say the Torah or the Bible, if you do not accept that, then you are at liberty and you are free not to read or study. Because why should I waste my time if it's not from there? And I find that is really the most solid excuse that I always hear, is that, well, it's not really, you know. But I find that it's usually... The bedrock excuse for not spending the time and i I don't think look i spend a lot of time doing this i know you do and I, i don't expect other people to do what i do or perhaps what you do uh maybe other people have more things to do in their life but but there is the stories make sense like for example this guy, we just read, you read the first, I didn't think he was going to read those verses, but I'm glad you did. Zechariah? Zechariah, mm-hmm. I'm glad you did, because that kind of is at the end of what we're doing tonight, but it kind of brings up the beginning. And so where does this begin? It actually begins way back with Noah. I'm not going to go through the whole thing of Noah, but there's something very interesting about Noah. His, you know, his, his wife and his kids, mm-hmm. they're on that boat when they come off the boat. The, the ark. As we call it, the Ark, of course. <laughs> That's right. Yes, uh, it was the Ark. Yes, and I must say that just so as an interesting segue, I have kind of developed a new policy for myself. I, uh, I on my computer, on my phone, also gets everything that my emails get, and I've deleted probably twenty-five different news. Agencies from it, and I will no longer watch uh, cable news, right or left side or right side, because it's all distorted. It's not news; it's manipulation. So I've got rid of that. I also will. I watched a two-hour premiere of uh, Law and Order: SVU last Friday night, two-hour premiere, and that, and I said, okay, that's it. I'm done with them too. I don't need the pressure. I don't need the stress. I want to be a nice person. I want to treat people nicely, and I want to get along. So. Bearing that in mind, what is the story that I really want to draw upon about Noah? Actually, when Noah comes off, we know, actually we technically know, uh, from the, the sages who Noah Noah's wife was, uh, Naama, And she's in chapter 4. I believe it's 4.22. And uh, now we can know she comes through the descendancy of Cain. Well, she... Uh, is a righteous woman, and we know that Noah comes through the descendancy of uh, Seth, or you know the, the third child born, and he comes from a righteous line. Yet afterwards, the it's a juxtaposition that's in transition and exchanged, because what happens is Noah, he's like a shepherd. He's he's running a floating zoo. Shepherds take care of animals. He's kind of like a shepherd. That's the occupation of Abel. Or in Hebrew, Havel, but Abel. And but when they get off the boat, what's the first thing he does? He takes up the occupation of Cain. A guy grows grains and farms and farms things. He grows it says they want you to know he planted a vineyard and he got drunk. But yet his wife who came from the line of Cain, she's a righteous person. She really is not criticized. It's Noah that does it. And it's very specific about that. Now, why is that important? Is because in that is that every descendant, and I'm going to use the line of Cain. This is interesting. And I was looking at it today. In the line of Cain, we have Nimrod, we have all the Egyptian pharaohs. We have Sodom and Gomorrah. We even have in the, and I hate to say this, but in the, the Muslim world, those are the descendants also. And what we have is the constant repetitiveness of taking women, making them slaves, being cruel to them, and sexual domination. And it's that repetitiveness that begins. And you remember in chapter 6 it says, They took wives whoever they chose. Okay, so what's going on is this actually goes on over and over. It's repetitive and repetitive. Now, all these minor prophets are going to look at, they're talking about and protesting against the actual teachings that you can trace way back to Noah and before him to Cain. So the story starts making sense, if we put it in that context. And some things we'll look at tonight is fascinating, because it's really, if you think of this, oh, this is like Cain. Because if you look at it, it's an individual, it's personified by one person. You can actually see what's going on, and that's the line of Cain. And that was really what Noah did. He took up that occupation. In fact, what's very interesting is that the, the names are so similar between the descendants of Cain and Seth because they're actually mimicking the names of the killed person, Abel. So they're actually taking everything over. It's the constant war, you might say, between evil and good.
2: Well, let's let's back up. From what we saw from the earlier books of Genesis, Exodus, you know, the beginning, as we trace through the Hebrew Scriptures, we do see those this this constant division, this constant uh, separation between. People of God, people who love God, love, sincerely desire God, want God, and seek Him uh, and His righteousness and so on, and those who do not. Now, uh, those who seek God, there's there's a kind of unanimity to it. There's a, a the people who love God, seek God, want God's rules and laws, uh, even though they may have different denominational groups or, or even uh, culture groups or societal groups, language groups. There's a certain oneness and unity to it. But those... Those who oppose the God, the worship of the true living God and His laws, uh, there, there's all kinds of versions of that. Uh, and, and, and even if you go into f- the religious uh, aspects of it, there could be false gods or idolatrous gods, or or no god whatsoever, and then it breaks down as well in the way we is to the way we treat each other. So you see those things happening uh, over and over again in the scriptures, like you're just saying, and it seems like constantly it's a matter of of uh, morality and goodness and, and worship and, and uh, sacrifice, or what am I trying to say, humility before God, uh, and then also, on the other side of that, it's the way we treat each other, uh, the, uh, honesty, truthfulness, the way we treat uh, particularly women in the in the area of gender. Uh, all of these questions are what i dealt with over and over again, just like you're saying. Well, I knew that was going to come up here pretty soon and catch us before we got too far along. But thats we've set the table a little bit tonight for considering the books of Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah. Uh, We'll tell you a little about Uh, each prophet, their background, and what the basic theme of their different books are. If you'd like to give us a call and participate tonight with a question or something you'd like to share, our phone number is 210-340-9585, 340-9585. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
1: God carries us to new places of grace as we trust in Him. Welcome to today's encouragement from Our Daily Bread titled, Trust Him First. It was written by James Banks. Don't let go, Dad. I won't. I've got you. I promise. I was a little boy, terrified of the water, but my dad wanted me to learn to swim. He would purposefully take me away from the side of the pool into a depth that was way over my head where he was my only support. Then he would teach me to relax and float. It wasn't just a swimming lesson. It was really a lesson in trust. I knew my father loved me and would never let me be harmed intentionally, but I was also afraid. I would cling tightly to his neck until he reassured me all would be well. Eventually, his patience and kindness won out, and I began to swim. But I had to trust him first. When I feel over my head in a difficulty, I sometimes think back on those moments. They helped me call to mind the Lord's reassurance to his people in Isaiah 46. There he said, even to your old age, I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. We may not always be able to feel God's arms beneath us, but the Lord has promised that he will never leave us. As we rest in his care and promises, he helps us learn to trust in his faithfulness. He lifts us above our worries to discover new peace in him. You'll find more helpful tools and resources when you download the Our Daily Bread mobile app. Go to getodbtoday.org. Today's encouragement was provided by our Daily Bread Ministries.
0: National and local ministry shows you know and trust every weekday on AM630 The Word. Like Family Life Today, Mornings at 9, Messianic Perspectives, Afternoons at 1, and Maranatha Bible Church at 5 p.m. on AM630 The Word and
1: am630theword.com. Hey, this is Bob Olshesky Thanks for listening to Plugged In. Canadian pop punk princess Avril Lavigne has released a new single called Head Above Water, her first new music in five years. It's a tune that's deeply shaped by the artist's near fatal struggle with Lyme disease. The lyrics to this emotional piano ballad mirror what Lavigne stated was a desperate cry to God to rescue her from slipping under the waves of her struggle. water delivers a triumphant soaring anthem of hope Prayer and restoration. And it comes not from a familiar voice within the Christian music world, but from an unlikely star who seems to have found God just when she needed him most. For a full review, visit slash radio. I'm Bob Olszewski for Focus on the Families plugged
0: in. Find out more about your favorite programs and the ministries on AM 630 The Word by going to the program guide at AM 630theword.com. There you'll get connected to the ministry website email and phone number. Plus, find out when your favorite show airs on the program guide at am630theword.com.
4: Sometimes the way is lonely and still and filled with pain. So if your sky is dark and pours the rain, then cry to Jesus. Cry to Jesus cry to Jesus. And You're
0: listening to the Bible live with Soapy Dollar. When love
4: spills over and music fills the night, when you can't contain
2: We are back, ready to discuss are we back? these. Uh, books. Do we, do we have a phone number? Yes, we do. What is it? Three four zero ninety five eighty five. It's uh, right in front of you if you could just uh, read those, those numbers there. Two ten three four zero ninety five eighty five. Oh, there it is. It's, it's a two ten number, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Area code. All right. All right, <clears throat> and I, <clears throat> I, I really enjoyed what you were saying before, and I'm hoping everyone, is, is getting an understanding. You were laying the kind of laying the ground for us to understand and see that what we're going to read about in these books, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, it, it, it is going to be to some degree the same kinds of issues, the same kinds of problems, and essentially it's that division in the humanity between the the Cain, the lineage of Cain, the lineage of of uh, Abel, and uh-huh. then of course Seth, who, the the son who came to replace uh, uh, Abel after he had been killed by his brother. But you see this constant division among people, Uh, even after the the Tower of Babel, when the people groups were developed. Oh, that's right. That's one person
3: I left out. Mm -hmm. Nimrod Mm -hmm. is also a descendant of Cain. So and all the abuse you see, let's the say of,
2: of uh, Babylon. Right? Of
3: Babylon. Uh-huh. And so all of the, the horrible, even in today's world, oh, the women have to wear the burqas and all that stuff and they can't drive and all that. They have no rights. Those are actually the descendants of Cain. Now. Can we have? But we have in the story of Noah that the descendant of the Cain was the woman Nama, the mm-hmm. wife of Noah. The
2: wife of Noah,
3: and she's righteous. So it doesn't make any difference of what line you come from. But if you live, yeah, that, you're
2: not stuck in the lineage you're not you came stuck, from. But, no, yeah.
3: But so if you go through that conduct, you will continue on. The may I say the the line of Cain. And it's really the difference between, and I will say this, between the Judeo-Christian world, which is kind of in the line of Seth, and the... Lifestyle where it specifically oppressing women mm-hmm. and abusing them comes through the line of Cain. And we know that because it starts right in Genesis chapter 4 with Lamech taking two wives. And then it goes right on, and in chapter 6, Lamech it says. Lamech the
2: first, right? That, uh, spoken he, of, he's uh, the first one. Wives, he began. Yeah. One of them for pleasure, uh, yeah. one of them for. Uh, one for l- hedonistic
3: pleasure, for, and one for reproduction or um, breeding. Children. Yes. And then we get all the way to chapter 6, and it says, they took wives they chose. So it's concentrating on the abuse, the unfair abuse of women. And that's actually what's going on. So now in today's world, can we follow that same technique around in the world? And the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So can a person that comes from a bad line, can they repent and be good? Of course they can. Can a person who comes from a good line do bad? Of course they can. And that's why it's so important that Noah picks up the occupation of cain and he plants a vineyard that's that's why it's wanting us to know that he chose to take that lifestyle and then he said well you because i've done this you know the, and all those descendants the canaanites the nimrod the pharaohs all of them come from that line and so if we can put this in context we can actually spin it backwards all the way to back to cain and abel or seth and it makes it so simplistic to understand. And all these prophets are going to read; they're all saying, "You guys are repeating the same thing." Stop! Stop! Stop!
2: It seems like the the enemy of our souls, the the the, the one who would drive us and draw us away from God. That, that they are there's some there's some constants about uh, in terms of worship, in terms of uh, pursuit of power, uh, and so and and. Marriage and family are such uh, – quite often I've heard over the years uh, Christian preachers and other spiritual leaders talk about how how the, Satan, our, our great enemy, and, and, and one of the great vulnerabilities for godly men and women is our, our marriages and our homes, our families, our children – and you know when god wants when, when Satan wants to attack a culture or society he 's going to attack at that point of vulnerability of our one of the great passions of our lives and, the, and the be- one of the most beautiful aspects of our human existence is our sexuality and, and, our, and our marriages and our families and, and families reproduction. yeah. It, it just and yet we, we see that that is also where the enemy really focuses to distort to pervert and to tear apart a culture and society of people by, uh, on the basis of family and marriages and sexuality. It's well,
3: and actually, Noah becomes our first our first glimpse of a Messiah because mm-hmm. he saves mankind, humankind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, you know, in tonight, you started off with Micah. And uh, if you look at your questions, do you happen to have a Bible with you this evening? I do. It's right wow. here. Yes, I do. Okay. Listen, you got a very interesting thing here. Look at your question number two.
2: Okay, uh, under Micah. Yes. What small Judean town would be the birthplace of a ruler of Israel, who would be the source of peace? All right. Now, do you have Micah with you? I do, Micah. Why don't you? If you
3: would, you be kind enough to indulge us and read verse uh, one. Let's see, what is it? Uh, I guess one and two. Uh, well, I have that
2: memorized, but I better, I better, I better read it. <coughs> Oh, if I remember, didn't it start with, oh, Bethlehem. Uh, not, not in the book you? I read, but that's okay. Oh, Micah, Micah, Jonah, Micah. By
3: the way, where? what does Bethlehem mean? <clears throat> House of bread. Oh, that's right. Yeah, very good. They yeah. bo-
2: grew a lot of wheat around there. Uh, okay, did you say chapter Five, one? five. Chapter five. Yeah, well, okay. this is your uh, this what? is your questions. Five two. I'm you're, going you're
3: to exactly uh, right. for the Christian reader uh, listeners. I'm going to put something together that's I think remarkable. I say all the time the people who wrote the Christian scriptures they were not amateurs. These are very very knowledgeable people, or some people say divinely inspired.
1: Oh, I
2: thought you said it did not say oh Bethlehem. Huh? There there it is right there. Well, then didn't uh, start with perhaps those words, you but... have a different <laughs> version. But anyway, what's five one and two say? Uh, Mobilize, marshal your troops. That's chapter 5? Verse 1. Listen, just listen. Uh, (laughs) Mobilize, marshal your troops. The enemy is laying siege to Jerusalem. They will strike Israel's leader in the face with a rod. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are from the distant past.
3: Now, Interesting. I want to point out something. It says uh, the name of the town is distinguished by a second word, and how what? It's Bethlehem. What? Ephrathah. Ephrathah. Uh-huh. Okay. Now, let's take a look. Using your Bible, let's see what this is talking about. Could you? Would you be so kind mm-hmm. as to flip back to Genesis 48:7?
2: I just love it when you talk to me so. Politely, I'll gladly do that. Genesis forty-eight. What now? Seven. Okay, got
3: it right. We're gonna we're gonna put something together for the Christian listener from the Christian from the Bible that I'm gonna suggest that many Christians are not familiar
2: with, but it's gonna lace it together like a story. Genesis forty-eight, verse seven. Long ago, as I was returning from from Paddan Aram. Rachel died in the land of Canaan. Now this is uh, Jacob talking. It is Jacob talking. Long ago as I was returning from Padan Aram that was the traditional home way up north if I remember uh-huh. correctly. Uh-huh. Rachel died in the land of Canaan. We were still on the way on the way traveling some distance from Ephrath, huh? That is Bethlehem. There you go. Now so let's, the, so let's, with great sorrow I buried her there beside the road. Beside the road to Ephra.
3: Right. So what we got here, what Mike is talking about, is he's saying Bethlehem of Ephrah. Uh-huh. Now, so what's he referring to? We go backwards, we go to forty-eight-seven, and we say, Jacob, that's where somebody died. Who died there? Uh, Rachel. Rachel, which is Rachel. And you know what that means, right? Nope. Uh, something
2: of God. Beauty?
3: Uh, no. no, it means little lamb. Oh, a little lamb, huh? Hmm. Okay, so it's a little female lamb. All right, but he, she died there. He put up a pillar, a, 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 a guidepost. Uh-huh. Isn't that interesting? Now, I'd like to get segwayed, but instead, let's go back even further. Let's go back one more step, and let's go back to 35, Genesis thirty-five, nineteen and 20. I've got it. You want me to read that? Please, Please. I wouldn't have it any other way. I John's be, busy on his phone, um, so we'll let you read. 35 what verses? Uh, 35, 19, 20.
2: 35, 19 says, Rachel was about to die, but with her last breath, she named the baby ben Oni, which means son of my sorrow, this Benjamin. The baby's father, however, called him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. Ah. Jacob set up a stone monument uh-huh. over Rachel's grave, and it can be seen there to this day. So
3: what we were told is, is we're going backwards from what Mike is referring to. Or we can actually, he says, I set up a pillar. Then in 35, he's saying it again. And then we know it's the same Bethlehem. Now, David was born in that particular Bethlehem. Now, let's go back and lay so this. So with somebody else we know. Uh, yeah, well, lots of folks I understand. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, let's go back and let's see if we can lace something fantastic together. Okay, uh-huh. And I think Christians are going to love this. mm mm-hmm. I'll be seriously doubtful if they don't love it. I'm already loving it. All right, let's go back one more step. Go to 3317,
2: Genesis. Oh, okay. I got it right here. So Esau turned around and started back to Seir that day. Jacob, on the other hand, traveled on to Succoth. There he built himself a house and made shelters for his livestock. Ah. That is, uh, and if I remember. Um, oh, okay. well, that's I right. Finish the sentence, if you don't Okay, mind. just a second. That is why the place was called Sukkoth, which means shelters. Ah. Now, what I want to show you is
3: Sukkoth is the Hebrew word, right? Yes. As far as I know, it's the only place where a ranch, a dwelling, is named for building a dwelling for. An animal. Mm-hmm. Does, is there any more to that sentence that you're reading? Doesn't it say which is Bethlehem?
2: Oh, uh, Which means shelters. Uh-huh. Well, I, I, I didn't say anything about Bethlehem. Okay, well, okay. Uh, maybe yours is
3: numbered a little differently. Anyway, so what we got is a Sukkot. is uh-huh. a little shelter. It's a little booth, or if I was translating that maybe through the Greek and the Latin and English, I might use the word manger. Manger, yes. Now, this is the only place where, as far as I know, that a place is named for the animal. Now, this is in Bethlehem, okay? This place here at 33? Yes, uh-huh. Uh-huh. So... What's 3317? Ha- so what mm-hmm. it's saying is, is that they were, Esau and Jacob split up, and they said, we will meet again. And Jacob builds a place called Sukkoth, which is the Hebrew word, but it's a shelter, as you said, for livestock. Well, isn't it interesting that he built a little barn, manger, if you will, in Bethlehem, and it's Bethlehem Ephelerath, And that's the place where David would be born. And thus we have an idea that he's building a place for animals. Well, that would be where lambs would be born. Mm -hmm. So what the story is telling us, what Micah is suggesting, if you go back to those verses, that Jacob, according to the story in the Christian scriptures, is built the manger For a little lamb's to be born in in Bethlehem,
2: (laughs) you get the picture. I do get the picture, and that is really really fascinating. I will have to confess, it is not the first time that I heard this, but it's the first time I've been reminded in many years of this that the um, the meeting uh, after the meeting between uh, Jacob and Esau, Mm -hmm. that he went on to Bethlehem. Jacob did. Yeah, Esau went on uh, forward. He asked to him to Seir. go with him uh, yeah, to Mount Seir. Mount yeah. Seir huh? But he went on to Bethlehem, and that's where he built these shelters for animals. The, he uh, did a little uh, kind of uh, a ranch. And a it's
3: the only Hacienda place I there. know that where a uh, place is named for a, a dwelling of an animal. Now, what's even more fascinating is uh, one of them says to the other one, we'll meet up again in the future. Yes, that's right. And they do meet again in the future because their descendants meet in Jerusalem because Herod Herod. is Edomite. He's a descendant of Esau. And Jesus was a descendant of Jacob. Exactly. So they met up again. Now you're getting a story. If you take the story <laughs> and put the story together, yeah. you can see how these writers in the New Testament put making this thing make sense. No, yeah,
2: you, you couldn't make it up. That, uh, what is it C.S. Lewis said? Uh, seeing the Scriptures as they are, you it, one would not write them if he could, nor could he write them if he would. In other words, it's just too supernatural uh, the 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 thread through the scriptures is, is, is there's a constant message of clarity and in a, and a it, it amazingly amazingly to me it also tracks through through the generations and genealogies it's it's yeah, so what, yeah so the one way if you want to just crystallize
3: when you see the the repetitive sins that these minor prophets are going to be talking about and who they're talking about they're talking about what is you might say, for lack of a better term, the line of Cain. And so that is one of the major ones is how women were treated Mm -hmm. and subjected and became chattel. Anyway, so what's up, So you got that, and it's being repetitive. This is one of the things that these minor prophets are protesting against. Uh, because this, and we can even see it in today's world, like I say, in the, especially in the Arab or the Muslim world, you see that same type of thing. And so I think all men have to be a little careful, because we all have a little cane in us. Uh, uh,
2: very good. Uh, uh, are there just too many things to talk about when you go to the Bible but I, I was thinking about this today as I was, I was preparing and looking through some passages in Genesis uh, along these same lines and I was thinking of Bill Bright's uh, booklet called The Four Spiritual Laws God loves you and offers a wonderful plan for your life, but there is a problem, and that is the problem of sin and our separation from God. We've become uh, uh, our, our our relationship with God has become uh, was cut off because of our own self-will. And sometimes that self-will expresses itself in active rebellion against God. Sometimes just passive indifference to God. But we have the pr- the principle of sin uh, and separation from God, and then we have the provision. The atoning work that god carried out in history uh through the messiah through the redeemer himself Uh, our sin has been atoned and, and paid for and by faith and trust if we make a decision as you said though each person must make his own decision uh you know if mom and dad were perhaps terrible sinners and uh, may be great atheists and rejecting God, but the child can be a, a, a believer. And we see that in Scripture, and we see that in history. Uh, on the other hand, people can be godly and good, uh, as an Eli uh, uh, or, uh, or Samuel, and their children may turn out to be uh, reprobates and, and, uh, and, and turn away from God. So each person makes this decision for themselves. But those principles right there we're talking about uh, in the booklet, for Spiritual Laws, Those principles we still—they're—they're big. They're important principles, uh, and we see them reinforced throughout the the scriptures. Now, Micah was his reading. If I remember, remember when Jeremiah was being accused and being—he was being kind of tortured and persecuted because of his preaching that Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. Well, I, I remember one passage where in the book of Jeremiah they. They referred back to the prophet Micah, and they said, yeah, no, no, don't, don't, don't treat Jeremiah so bad because there was another prophet who predicted Jeremiah would be destroyed as well. And uh, so I, th- they do tie together. They link together. There are uh, This is a continuing uh, uh, story throughout all of these 66 books written over all of these many years. Uh, let's go to Nahum. Nahum and Habakkuk. The, both of those two are linked together in some way, aren't they? Yeah, they're, they're okay.
3: contemporaries.
2: Now, the, a lot of our listeners, I don't think, will know about Habakkuk and Nahum. Habakkuk. Uh, Habakkuk. Uh, Nahum was called to preach to Nineveh, the capital of of Assyria, like Jonah was, an earlier prophet. Nahum preached to uh, Assyria's judgment and destruction, Uh and the Babylonians uh, came through and fulfilled his predictions. But Nahum, was he the son of Habakkuk? Or was it the other way around? Am I... mm, neither one. Neither one? But okay. they were contemporaries. Were they? Okay.
3: Yeah, I think they probably both played darts and had beers.
2: But ha- Habakkuk was the son or the father? I... No, 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 you've got it. You've almost got it. I'm getting somebody missed oh, okay. tell tell... Okay. out. Okay, here's
3: the answer. Uh, Habakkuk, and I guess in English, Habakkuk, mm-hmm. he is. Let me uh, flip over to my notes here. Was he the son or the dad? No, he is the son of. He is the one that was raised by Elisha. He is the son of. From the dead,
2: actually. Uh Huh? What's that? From the dead, actually.
3: Yes. And the story you're familiar with in the Christian mm -hmm, scriptures mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is that, uh, remember the Sumanite woman? Uh huh. The woman that was in poverty. And Elisha raised him. He's the one that was raised from death. So we actually have a book in the Bible that was written. It was her son, right? Her son was raised, and her and the boy's father, her husband, was Obadiah. Obadiah, there you go. <clears throat> and he and Obadiah. Now he's from he's all, he's an Edomite. Obadiah but, was the father. Obadiah was the father. That is correct. Okay. And so, now, and the reason the whole story is laces together is Obadiah is an Edomite. Well, they're like sworn enemies of the Jews, but he was a righteous guy, and mm-hmm. he saved, uh, I think, a hundred and some prophets mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and fed them and mm-hmm. watered them, saved them. And when the king found out... during it the up, time of Elijah, exactly so. Mm-hmm. And so what happened is, uh, you know, he got found out and he was killed. Well, also the property is confiscated, leaving the Shumanite woman in poverty. So. She's in poverty, and of course, then we get the, uh, the the vats of oil that made her money. Then her son dies. Mm-hmm. Now Elisha comes along and raises him from the dead. That's now Habakkuk. Habakkuk. So what's happening is this is you in this Bible, you actually have somebody who's from the line of Edom writing books, that but they're a righteous people. And see, almost, and I must say... We each make our own decision, don't yeah. we?
2: <laughs> Every p- person right. decides for themselves if they will be part of the people of God or they will not. Uh, and By the uh, way, if you'd like to know where that comes from,
3: it's in Second Kings uh, chapter 4, verses 8 through 37. You can read about Elisha raising this child to life second kings 4 8 through 11 very uh-huh. good eight, 8 through 37 I see. 8 through 37 but anyway so what you got is you got the whole story now in in the christian scriptures that story is repeated and the reason it's repeated is because he was righteous but he wasn't jewish mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: very isn't good. that so, interesting micah now now okay so that takes habakkuk that brings us up to speed with Habakkuk and tells us a little bit about his relationship to uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and how he got connected through his mother, the Shunammite woman, and uh, and through uh, Obadiah, his father, right. both uh, followers of the true and living God. What a what an amazing story! What a what a tapestry that the, that the Scriptures weave for us. Now, tell me about Nahum. Um, I was mistaking him for Obadiah. Where does Nahum It's a prestigious mistake for Nahum. hmm Okay. <laughs> Nahum doesn't mind <laughs> if I mixed him up. But he is uh he does follow up. Remember Jonah preached the destruction in in uh, forty days mm-hmm. uh um, Nineveh will be destroyed. A seven word right. sermon. That's all he had said. Seven-word sermon, and it sparked one of the great, eight great revivers. Say that again, what you just said. In 40
3: days, Nineveh will be destroyed. You said it correctly. In fact, almost, I hate to say this, was so often that's misquoted. He doesn't say, if you don't repent. Everybody nope. says, oh, if you don't repent. He does not say that. <laughs> no. He says, you are cooked, Your history. You're it's toast.
2: over. Yeah. yeah, as I say. So actually, you're right. And yeah, uh, that was his message. And uh, sparked one of the eight great revivals of the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament. There are eight great turnings of large people groups turning to, to God. Uh, and this was one of them, uh, one of the in fact, uh, this great city in, in the capital city, and it says from the king down to the least of the uh, citizens. Well, and they well, actually he appeared
3: mm-hmm. roughly 70 years before the destruction of the first temple. Mm-hmm. And this is before when the 10 tribes are taken away by the Assyrians. And one of the things the Assyrians did is force everybody to worship their Mm -hmm, gods. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so all that type of thing is going on. That's Nahum. And he is a contemporary.
2: But God held back his judgment. uh, But... The prophecy, the prediction, was indeed completed a uh, hundred years later, uh, in the time of Micah. Right. I, I'm sorry, the time of um, Nahum. Nahum. The uh, Nineveh indeed was back. destroyed. Verse one says by the Babylonians. One one says a prophecy concerning
3: Nineveh. I, I was talking about Nineveh. About that's right.
2: Well, there is another segment gone by. We'll come back, folks. Don't go away. You can call call us if you would like. The Bible Live will return right after these messages.
4: To the Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that
2: is greater than all. Didn't us. you say something to me last week about grace? Uh, the translate the Hebrew word for grace. Yes,
3: it has. You'll always remember it if you remember. It's the name of underwear.
2: <laughs> That's right. I thought it was. I, folks, I thought it was going to be some deep, uh, very complex and profound statement about grace, uh, following up our, our our bumper music there, God's grace. And I remember now you told me that uh, the Hebrew word for grace is hanes That's right, Haynes. Haynes. That's how you write it. That's how you write. I'm showing Soapy right now the
3: English word, and I'm showing him how to write it in Hebrew but it's actually Haynes. and it, it actually says actually oh, okay. the literal translation is talking about noah way back when and i believe it's the last sentence in chapter 5 i think and it says noah found
2: Hanes in god's eyes grace think about this how about i that? found
3: my underwear yeah, <laughs> yeah no, no
2: but that's so interesting because so very many times we have the general idea that grace is a new testament yeah. concept uh-huh. and it is certainly not grace was always abounding <laughs>
3: and a lot of people thought that was noah's wife's name but no, no. uh
2: no uh, that grace ha- ha- naama uh, naama that sounds like an indian word as well doesn't okay. na- it could a, be i can say something native, i can't uh, uh, i think it's a, a navajo word actually uh, i can say na-ma. something in navajo yes
3: what i can say yata heyshiki yata yeah that's right that's do you know right.
2: what that means uh yata means uh how are you or I say like what what's going on grandpa <laughs> <laughs> a greeting yeah gute um, in uh, in uh, in apache is oh. the same thing uh, we uh, we use that phrase how are you or you know how you doing um, anyway, <laughs> how we get off on these things. I don't know, I don't know. but uh, they well, it are, was a lot of fun. Uh, the scriptures, uh, carry us all to all different locations. Well, let's say we talked about Habakkuk, Habakkuk. Yeah. And we, uh, I
3: always love that. And I'll tell you why, because I like for Christians and I must say in all, in all candor, I, 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 I think probably in the Christian world, a lot of them do not realize that two books in the quote-unquote Old Testament is actually written by non-Jews, but they are sincere, devout believers in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they did good deeds, and so they are in the group. They're included. Mm -hmm. They're not excluded Mm -hmm. in any way, and they're from an ancient enemy, Edom. Esau.
2: and they've become part of the people they of God. are and, and and people don't realize who these people are isn't that fascinating I know it is and, and but it's an it, there's uh, so many important lessons in it about God is no respecter of persons and so on but also the whole these principles are work that wherever they are, that, that uh, we each make our own individual decision. And I was looking at the book of uh, Habakkuk just as we find the concept of grace in the Hebrew Scriptures, just as in the New Testament, uh, God hasn't changed. Uh, we also see Habakkuk, I, I think, is a great book to think about uh, the fact that God allows us as human beings, he doesn't get offended, he doesn't get angry, he's not mad when we ask questions uh, I, and I, I'm constantly telling young people this, young uh, airmen and young trainees out at Lackland Air Force Base, uh, th- that it's not wrong for them to to ask questions and to think for themselves and think through and look for the answers. Uh, truth is crucial and vital to God. God is on the side of truth, and he doesn't mind if we, answer, if we ask questions. And uh, the reason I, I say that now is because Habakkuk, the outline of the book of yes. Habakkuk. Yes, he's, he, asked
3: he has God questions. Well, he has one primary theme
2: of those mm-hmm. questions. Mm-hmm. Would you care to elaborate? Something about why is God so slow to judge evil and why um, does evil remain? Yeah, yeah. Why and he... so
3: and so we stop back, and if we put that in context of the. Let's say the line of Cain as gets repeated with the pharaohs and, uh, Abimelech and the Abimelech and everything. It's the same
2: question a lot of people ask today. Why does oh, God allow right. pain? Why yeah. does he allow sin so, and evil? If somebody,
3: wants the yeah. Yeah. if somebody wants the answer, I'd suggest that they run to their Bible right after the show, before the next show comes on this sure, station, yeah. and uh, go read the book of Habakkuk.
2: Yeah. He, God does not mind at all. Habakkuk asks these questions. The, kind of the same question but several different ways three or four different ways and he's he's asking about the purpose of what is god's purpose and why is evil allowed and so on and god answers Uh, but the time will come ultimately ultimately the time will come when all the earth will be filled as the water fills the sea with the awareness of the glory of god that's a A passage from chapter 3, verse 14 of Habakkuk. Yes, right now we live in a world where good and evil coexist. Uh, You know, a a bullet doesn't turn to a marshmallow. Just because it's headed toward an innocent person or a good person or a child, uh, this is a essentially a closed system ruled only by morally neutral natural laws and it's in this context of good and evil that god is in calling calling out a people for himself those who choose him uh, and desire him and want that relationship with god he has made a provision that we can know him we can experience him, and he will guide us and strengthen us to be part of the solution for this world, to live righteously, to treat others righteously and, and, and to, uh, with generosity, with grace, with, with, uh, with kindness. That's, Actually, that's Sophie, his commands,
3: and then, uh, see, chapter 1, I think it's verse
2: 12
3: of uh-huh. uh, Habakkuk, is the, uh, where the famous Christian song comes from, Rock of Ages. Exactly
2: right. Uh, let Me Hide Myself in Thee, yeah. rock, rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. It was my, the woman I thought was my mother. Uh, it was one of her favorite hymns. I, I, I know that I remember that from a childhood. that's pretty long way back there now. But uh, she had that on an album by Tennessee Ernie Ford, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. Again, coming from a, a reference to it here in Habakkuk, but it's referring to the rock, that uh, wasn't it referring to the rock in which uh, Moses hid himself in the cleft of the rock, right. as, God, and, uh, as God passed before him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, Habakkuk, read the book of Habakkuk. Okay, great one. Now let's move on to some of these others. I want to get to Zechariah if we well, can. Well, let's just go to Zechariah. Okay, it's one of the uh, most quoted books in the New Testament. Actually, it is. the book of Zechariah. There are many images of the um, of the Messiah. Uh, Jesus, isn't the 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 the, sh- the good shepherd? Doesn't that come from Zechariah? The idea of the shepherd. <laughs> Am I getting off in my old age? I thought Zechariah was often uh, quoted in the New Testament as well. I think, I think this. My my notes will tell me about it somewhere in here. What were you going to say? Uh, nothing. <laughs> oh, about Zachariah, nothing uh well, I was going to say well something. you were, it was your idea to go to Zachariah. Hold well, on. you said I want to
3: get to zachariah, so let 's just go to zachariah okay let 's go oh, right. I see uh, um, it 's got a lot of symbolism that's that can be difficult to understand.
2: they say it can be that it has uh the 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 his images his uh his visions were complicated <clears throat> among the most complex. But it reveals a lot about God's attributes, about His compassion, and uh, the three themes of compassionate uh, compassion, rejoicing, and protecting are three of the themes that, that come out in the book of of Zechariah. I thought I'm looking for that statement about a number of prof the number of references to the Messiah in the book of Zechariah. <clears throat> The Eight Visions, The Myrtle Trees, Cleansing for the High Priest. Well, that's all I got, brother. I thought well, there, I got I to tell you, okay,
3: Zechariah, there used to be a gentleman works that went off to be, a, he actually did John's job, but mm-hmm. uh, I can't recall his name right now, but he went off to become right. a... What? I think I know the. Oh, I you thought you were telling me to be quiet. No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, no, he went off to become a preacher. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And he and I talked about this one time, and he called me, and we sat down. And uh, and and in Zechariah chapter twelve is the famous line about, uh, "They will look on me and who they stabbed or pierced." Uh huh. That's in chapter twelve, John. we have blinking lights, John? Anyway, so it's very interesting. And I pointed out to him, I said, listen, uh, who's going to get killed? Who's two-thirds of these people? And he said, well, it's the Jews. And I said, well, let's figure this out. And when I showed it was not the two-thirds of the Jews, I said to him, I said, it's not quite okay if it's, if it's the Gentiles, but not the Jews getting killed by two-thirds, right? Because when it says they will look upon me whom they pierced, mm-hmm. they're actually... Uh, Soapy, John's trying to get your attention. Um, Yes, good.
2: Look at this passage uh in chapter 12. Did you you referred to it? Uh huh. then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on yeah. the family of David and uh-huh. on the people of Jerusalem. Yes. They will look on me whom they have pierced uh. and mourn for him as for an only son. Right. They will grieve bitterly for him as for a firstborn son who has died. Uh-huh. The sorrow and mourning of Jerusalem on that day will right, be like the great right, mourning right. of yeah. Hadad Ramon in the valley of Megiddo. Yeah. And now, who is, is, who
3: is who is the they that will have remorse? The Jewish people? No. That's the catch. The they is the nations. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. Makes even more sense, doesn't it? Uh Uh-huh. In fact, you'll find it, it begins in chapter 9, it says, I will destroy the nations that come up against Jerusalem. And I pointed out to this gentleman that we're talking about, I said, listen, that's not two-thirds of the Jews that are dying, that's two-thirds of these other nations. And quite frankly, I said to him, I said, it's not quite as okay if it's two-thirds of you guys, is it?
2: (laughs) But in Chapter 10, it says, then I will pour out his spirit of grace and prayer... On the family of David uh-huh. and on the people of Jerusalem, there you go. those are the Jews, right? Those are the Jews. They will and look on they, me, whom they. They have is referring to the other nations. Oh, I see. To the, not, the, not to them. Yeah. Well, that is. So they'll confuser. look
3: upon the Jerusalem and Jeru- Jews, Jerusalem, that they stabbed, that they pierced. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that's taken a little different in the Christian world, but that that well, literally, that's what it says.
2: You can see from our from our English language that looks like it says they meaning yeah. the people of Israel yeah, and, it's, a, it's a, what's and called what in English
3: it? And it looks to be what's called an anticipatory subject which means that it refers to the named a definite article prior to but it's referring to the nations alright well let's go let's,
2: we have a caller can you believe that we have someone who oh. wants to talk with us
4: let's go and visit Harold is on the line hi Harold how you doing? I can't sleep tonight. <laughs> well, I'm surprised. Well, I, thought, I thought we would uh-huh.
2: probably put you to sleep right away, but uh, you,
4: no. Anyway,
2: what, I uh, what, do you think well, what I've
4: been doing lately. Uh, last last weekend, my wife and I we saw The Stars Born. You know, that's a pretty good movie if everybody would leave the Baptist side out of it and just go and watch it as a person. <laughs> uh, I kind of i I really like the way. Uh, his partner there uh, stuck stuck with him through we thick and thin. There wasn't a lot of drug abuse or anything, but he had some hard times, and she just stuck with him through the through the whole mess. But anyway, you were discussing the Indians. I mean, <laughs> to bring up Indians, but yeah, yeah. I, I was at work, you know, uh, on the loading dock, and this, this man drove up and, after speaking to him for a few minutes, I said, "I remember talking to you before, and I've told you about it before." I was staying, on the radio here, and uh, uh-huh. he's uh, 100% patchy a hundred percent Apache Indian, and I had this—wow, yeah—the this, wow. yeah, the, this uh, young man friend of mine here at work, Lorenzo, was standing there, and he knew he knows a lot about me, and I just went and said, "You know what? Well, I'm six and a half percent," and he kind of started gently laughing, not to be picking, but just like he was in shock that I didn't tell him that. Uh-huh. And, boy, that other guy, he said uh, he said he knows you and he said, even if you're 1% young man, you're considered an Indian. Indian. <laughs> and right. I just thought, boy, i got a, I got a lot of friends. We're anyway, I'm going to let you guys go. <laughs> yeah. We are anyway, I'll animus. let you guys go, okay? You
2: bet. Thank you, Harold. I'm glad to hear uh, from you
4: tonight. Appreciate you calling. alright well, right.
2: Bye-bye-bye. I hope you can get some rest. He says he can't sleep. I usually am able to put anybody to sleep. That's my spiritual gift, I think. <clears throat> but anyway, Actually, I might... know a
3: story about uh, this guy Go to the services at a Jewish synagogue, and this guy always fell asleep, but after the rabbi started talking. And one time he goes in there and he fell asleep early. And the rabbi supposed to sit him afterwards, says, You know, you usually wait till I start talking to go to sleep. And the guy said, It's okay, I have faith in you.
2: <laughs> well there you go shoot you know the anticipatory yeah you wait until okay <laughs> let's move on from that that's my spiritual gift of putting people always used to when we were on and weeknights and late in the evening people used to come and say oh I'm so glad to hear your voice you put me to sleep every night and I, I've always thought of that as a compliment but it sounds bad at least uh, you're so boring you put me to sleep I am the sure cure for uh, insom- uh, insomnia. Let's see here. We got the Book of Zachariah. We're talking about there are eight messages, eight visions that Zechariah has. Um, angelic messengers, four horns, four blacksmiths, man measuring. There was a man measuring the city of Jerusalem, uh, and it, it, I like that one about the measuring. He says, "Don't stop measuring because." Uh, I'm going to bless Jerusalem so much there'll be so many cattle and all that's going to change anyway. So your measurement, uh, your measurement doesn't do any good. Um, Joshua giving clean robes, uh, lampstands with unending supply of oil, flying scroll, a woman in a basket sent back to Babylon, four horses and chariots. So some uh, uh, interesting visions.
3: Do you uh, want to see something interesting in Zechariah? Mm-hmm. Okay, look at chapter 13.
2: I'm almost, desperate, I'm almost desperate to see something interesting because I kept thinking I wanted to, there was something about Zachariah. No, I don't know, I wanted to mark out, 13 you said? Yeah. The fountain of cleansing. Okay, why don't you just read
3: the first three verses and look what it says when you get into like especially number three.
2: On that day, a fountain will be opened for the dynasty of David and for the people of Jerusalem. A fountain to cleanse them from all of their sins and impurity. Wow, this reminds me of a lot of hymns that we sing about a fountain. Uh, And on that day, says the Lord of heaven's armies, the hosts of heaven, I I will erase idol worship throughout the land so that even the names of the idols will be forgotten. I will remove from the land both the false prophets and the spirit of impurity that came with them. If anyone continues to prophesy, his own father and mother will tell him, You must die, for you have prophesied lies in the name of the Lord. And as he prophesies, his own father and mother will stab him. Wow. Yikes. Yikes! That's verses 1 through 3. Uh, isn't that interesting? <laughs> that uh, Yeah. That uh, false
3: prophets uh, will be the ones that uh, seem to suffer the, the consequences. Are you familiar... Uh, on your side of the Bible, as as I joke sometimes, mm-hmm. um, and say about, remember the something called the narrow gate. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, exactly. Well, actually, the narrow gate is the real prophets of God. The wide gate are the false prophets. If you go back and look at those verses very carefully, he's saying the wide gate is what allows anything in, because there's three ways to commit blasphemy, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. One is by saying there's a, the worst, of course, is saying uh, there's a false god and another idol. And you can take uh, re, uh, another god's way there's of being. no with,
2: god, there's a false god, or.
3: or you can take uh, the way that the false god wants to be worshipped and apply it to the god of the Bible. Or you can take the way the God of the Bible says you do His worship and apply it to a false God. Mm-hmm. And so what these guys are doing is prophesizing falsely in the name of the real God of the Bible. And that's when this is going to happen and come to an end. This seems like a pretty tough uh, sentence, though, doesn't
2: it? It sure does. There's that passage, the prophecy about... Uh, uh, about Jesus, the great she- awake O sword against my shepherd, the man who is my partner, says the Lord of heaven's army, strike down the shepherd and the sheep will scatter and I will turn against the lambs. And uh, that's that's uh, the passage is quoted in the New Testament. Oh, when, don't
3: stop now. You almost got
2: to the good stuff. OK, it's when Jesus was crucified that, that his followers f- fled. Uh, right. Two thirds of the people. Let um, me see. Strike down the shepherd and the sheep who will be scattered, and I will turn against the lambs. Two thirds of the people in the land will be cut off and die, says the Lord. But one third will be left in the land. I will bring that group to the fire and the, make them pure. Yeah, this is
3: the line where everybody says, "Oh, well, that's two thirds of the Jews." That's absolutely not correct. It's talking about two thirds of the invaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not the Jews. And I guys told that one gentleman that used to work here. I said, "Well, I said so. If it's the Jew, I said." Do you know why it was kind of okay with you? And he said, "Why?" I said, "Because it was the Jews. You thought they were getting two thirds killed." <laughs> I said, "But it's not okay." As as it's somebody else. Yeah, it, it, but it's not okay if it's you. <laughs>
2: that's a, that's a pretty good uh, pretty good word. Well, let's go look at Zephaniah and Haggai. Those are the two of these prophets. These what are called minor prophets. Um, Zachariah is called a major minor prophet because his his work is a little 13 chapters long but let's look at uh, these uh you got zephani haggai, Zachari- haggai Zachariah, malachi those are the three post-exilic prophets they uh preach to the people of israel after the exile and after the return to jerusalem so uh haggai what is it haggai nothing comes to my mind I just keep thinking of John Hagee <laughs> for some reason. I always wondered if that's a
3: way of addressing <laughs> his last night.
2: Yeah, I uh I don't think Hagee is pronounced that way, but he may be a name for the prophet. I don't know. We'll have to ask John that one of these days. Well, let's look at Haggai. Uh, he's not mentioned in the Old Testament except in this book nine times and twice in, the, in uh, Ezra. Uh, he returned from Babylon with a group led by Zerubbabel in 538 BC. He might have been taken to Babylon as a child in the deportation of 586. Uh, then it is possible that he remembered the glory of Solomon's temple. If that were the case, he would have been 60 to 80 years of age at the time of his ministry, because he also uh, uh, he may have remembered that that the temple being blessed by. Solomon, I, I guess is what they're saying right. oh, oh no, not not the, uh, not the the blessing, but the the glory, the beauty of solomon 's temple uh, Haggai let 's see what are some of the distinctives of haggai 's uh, uh, book He's, uh, his, The purpose of the book is to call on god 's people to make the temple their top priority, finish the rebuilding of the temple. Uh, Haggai declared that they could not expect God's blessings with them, not making that him and the, his temple their, their pri- top priority. Uh, so I, if I remember correctly, there had been a delay at some point, there were several delays actually, but uh, Haggai calls them to finish the job, go ahead and and, and uh, complete what they had begun. Um, he speaks to the theme of grace again in the in the book of Haggai. Well, in uh,
3: Zephaniah, yeah, uh, you might find something interesting over in chapter, uh, chapter three, um, verse nine.
2: Zephaniah. Zephaniah, 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 three nine, huh? Yeah. Okay. It says, "Then I will purify the speech of all people, so that everyone can worship the Lord together. My scattered people who live beyond the rivers of Ethiopia will come to present their offerings." On that day, you will no longer need to be ashamed, for you will no longer be rebels against me. I will remove all proud and arrogant people from among you. There will be no more haughtiness, arrogance, or pride on my holy mountain. So what do you
3: think it means when it says, then I will transform the tongues of the nations into a clear tongue? Uh, Verse 9. Yeah, I saw that. Um, What do you think that means? I don't know
2: what what tongue uh, let's say that means uh, language are you talking about language are you talking about hebrews yeah you think everybody's going to speak hebrew yeah, well, yeah i think every group i've ever been every nation i've traveled to and i've been to a, quite a few of them they all claim that we're going to speak their language in heaven <laughs> yeah. all the believers in them think oh heaven yeah, well, we're going to speak french and of course well of course isn't that fascinating? Though? But it does say, uh, "I will purify the speech." I, maybe, maybe that means that will there won't be any foul mouth. There won't be any foul, intemperate speech. There won't be any cruel uh, speech. Maybe that means. Maybe that's why he means by the purity of the speech. I hear music i do too then i should say something
3: (laughs) i should say always be the kind of person you would like to have for a parent all
2: right can you say that in hebrew Uh, yes but i wouldn't do any good in that pure (laughs) speech that you speak of folks that's it we'll we'll be back next week we'll be reading the book of revelation and finish up uh with the book of malachi in the old testament as well hope you'll join us next sunday for the bible life the
4: bible Live is dedicated
2: to helping restore the Bible to our culture, and is brought to you by Crew Military Ministry. Mailing address is PO Box 18888, that's Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218.
0: Hear the entire Bible every year on the Bible Live weeknights at 9:30 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on the The Bible Bible Live Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and the Bible Live broadcast.
4: You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations
2: to help crew military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world.